Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Well, good morning. It's nice to see you all. Uh, a very special welcome to any of you that, that might be joining us from a vacation destination for fall break uh, or joining us again later on in the week. This is the second week of our Ephesians series. Last week, Adam did an excellent job of telling us what the major themes of the book are, particularly the theme of unity. And this morning, we're going to lean into how we can be reunited with our Heavenly Father. Our passage for this morning is Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. And I'm going to invite you to turn there with me in your Bible or Bible app because we're going to really kind of deep dive into this passage together. And in reality, this is probably Paul's clearest articulation of the gospel message in any of his letters. And so if we want to know and get at the heart of what does the gospel say I feel like there's no better place to go than Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Because here, Paul talks about sin, temptation, and salvation. I'll read it for us. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're going to dig a bit deeper into verse 1. It says, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sin. Uh, That's Strong language, dead. Now, I, I looked up in the, the Greek what this word means. And do you want to take a guess? Dead. Uh, it, dead, dead. Uh, it's the most accurate way to talk about a corpse. Um, and so what Paul is driving at and getting at here is he's using it spiritually. He's not talking about, are the Ephesians alive and breathing? The answer to that is, of course they are. They are alive. They have movement. But what he's commenting on is their spiritual health, their spiritual well-being. And the fact that, really, they're going about their day-to-day, but they recognize deep inside of them that something's off and that they're dissatisfied. And that the best language that he can put on exactly how they feel is to basically say, like, you're, you're a dead man walking. That although you are alive, that spiritually there's something not right in you, so you're, you're as good as dead. Um, so they're really numb 
inside. As if everything that they're doing is absolutely meaningless. Despite all that they did, despite everything they had accomplished, they still felt empty. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. As if nothing you did could make you feel like you were alive. Maybe you feel that way now. Despite having a good life, maybe you're married to a wonderful spouse and have great kids and an awesome job and a great house. Uh, Perhaps you have everything that you've ever dreamed of, and yet the reality is something still feels hollow inside. That maybe the best way to describe how you feel internally would be the word dead. Dead, dead. If that's the case, what we're experiencing in those moments is a spiritual death. And if you feel that way, what I love is Ephesians chapter 2 is great news for us. Because not only does Paul tell us exactly what causes that spiritual death, but he even lets us know that there's a remedy for it. And that God paved the way and made something possible that was impossible. And so that's that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But I do have to give a little warning. Uh, We're going to talk about sin. And so I'm probably going to step on your toes. If I do, I apologize. God stepped on my toes while I was preparing this message, and I kind of just get to pass that along forward to you. I get made uncomfortable. I make you uncomfortable. That's just how this whole thing sometimes works. So I'm I'm asking for your grace right at the the front end of this. Um, But what I can also say in terms of foreshadowing is that the news is good, and you'll be happy that you're here. So let me explain how some of this works. With sin, the reason why we feel at times spiritually dead or hollow or discontented uh, is because of discontentment. And discontentment is actually the result of sin. Let me explain how this works. A sin is any time we rebel against God in our thoughts, in our desires, in our words, or in our actions. And that the very core of sin is human pride. It's an attitude or belief that we feel like we know better than God. And the best example I can think of to kind of illustrate this point is with my two sons the other day. I walked into my living room, and I have twin boys. They're 18 months, uh, Kason and Colton. I talk about them a lot, but they they make up a lot of my world. Uh, I walk into the living room, and Kason is climbing up the couch. And he's actually seated at the very top. You know, not in the seat, but at the top. And Colton is climbing as fast as he can to to sit with his brother. So I walk in, and I yell at both of them. Colton immediately drops into the correct spot of the couch and sits just as he's supposed to. He's always eager to please, and he definitely does not want to get in trouble. Kason, with this devilish little smile, looks at me straight in the face, and then leaps off the top of the couch. Face first into a plastic toy on the ground. And he does that scream. Uh, or not scream. It's, it's when your, your child gets in severe pain. I don't know if you've ever seen this. They do this. Like, and they make a horrible face. But they can't literally get any sound to come out. And he's doing this for like two minutes. Because he's in so much pain. He can't get it out of him. And my dad heart does two things immediately. First, I feel terrible for my son. Uh, It breaks my heart that he's in pain. Secondly, I'm a little perturbed. 
I'm irritated. This is not Kaysen's first offense. We do this multiple times a day. He deep dives off of my couch into a toy daily. So it's not the first time that he's left himself screaming breathless because he's leaped off the couch. Uh, That's why Colton jumped down and sat so quickly because we've been over this. (laughs) They know better. Yet he looked me in the face and basically told me, Dad, I know better than you. I know what's going to make me happy. This is. Watch. Isn't that what we do in our day-to-day with God sometimes? It's like we know what Scripture says. We, generally speaking, we know what a sin is. And there's times where we look at God the same way my son looks at me, and we leap off that couch anyway. Right? And then God, I think, has that same reaction that I have. He has deep compassion for us. And he's a little perturbed. And not because he's mad that we keep breaking these rules. It's because he's like, I'm trying to help you live a quality life. I'm trying to help give you restrictions and regulations that bring you life and joy. I'm not trying to be mean and withholding and withdrawing things from you. So, so that's sin. And as if that uh, wasn't enough, Paul goes on to tell us that there's not just sin. That we actually do get tempted into sin as well. And he gives us three different basic ways that we're tempted into sin. He talks about the ways of this world, the kingdom of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the cravings of our flesh. So let's let's talk about these three different modes of temptation for sin for a second. Another way that we could talk about the ways of this world would be cultural norms. Today, there's a lot of things that have become normal in society that really encourage us to deviate from God's word. So an example of this, and some, these are, this is where I might start stepping on your toes. This is my where it starts to hurt a little bit. Uh, an example of this is it's culturally normative today for us to work 60 to 70 hours a week. Now, if we're working that hard all the time, what's often going to end up happening is we're, we're going to get away from the Sabbath principle. We're not going to take any type of downtime. And over time, what we're going to do is that we're going to realize that we feel like a slave. It's going to lead us into that spiritual numbness, that spiritual death that I was talking about, because we're overperforming, we're overproducing, and we're just doing too much. Some of the other things, and we could go on and on and on about the things that culture does uh, that encourage us to, to, to sin, uh, but some of the other things that we do is that we make it normative today that it's okay for you to live with your significant other before you're married, which then draws us into a place of insecurity in our lives because that relationship wasn't built for that yet. And we are encouraged then to give ourselves up to someone who we actually don't have any promises back from them that they're going to really take care of us for the long haul. And that we have no commitment. So it places us into a place of insecurity. We watch violence on TV all the time. We see it over and over again. And the, the reality is the more violence we consume in, the more violence we're ready to push out. And these are all just different ways that culture even absent-mindedly encourages us to sin. Well, here you might be able to withdraw and go, hey, Dave, now hold on a second. Now, God can't really count against me the sins that I don't really know that I'm doing, right? Well, I would say 
Two things to that. First, I think we have to get away from this image of God's carrying a clipboard around, trying to keep track of every time that we do something wrong. The reality is, and this is a slightly painful reality, it only took one sin for us to warrant death. Just one. And if we're honest with ourselves in reflection, we can find one somewhere. So there's no need for God to carry a clipboard and say, you deserve death. We've, we've already sealed that deal, so to speak, uh, with other different actions and attitudes. But what I can say is the reason why this is significant isn't that God's keeping track of your sins that you've committed without your knowledge. is that they do make us feel like crap. That God has designed us in a certain way to give us life. But when we step into these things that are outside of his bounds, what ultimately ends up happening is that we end up encountering spiritual death. And then we'll get confused as to why and why it hurts so bad and why it is that I feel like I'm operating in ways that just are not bringing me life and well-being. Well, some of that is we're just chasing cultural norms. And that's what Paul's talking about here in the ways of this world. The second thing that he talks about is that we have an enemy, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Uh, And this enemy is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's pretty good at it. We tend to think about him as this little caricature with like pointy horns and a tail and a, and a pitchfork. Now, what Jesus calls Satan a strong man, that he has overcome the strong man, that he's a stronger man, but he is a strong man. He knows us well. He knows our story. He knows our temptations. He knows the things that he can get a knee-jerk reaction out of us for. He studies us. He watches us. Now, C.S. Lewis put it this way, um, that the devil is looking for different ways to distract us. He says, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from light and out into nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. I think we look at the devil at times going, he's just trying to get us to do the most horrible things in the world. And that's not really his goal. Really what his goal is, is to come alongside of us and just shift our focus. Another place in the screw tape letters that C.S. Lewis talks about this, he says, you know, um, basically all that the devil has to do is when we start thinking about deeper things, thinking about things that matter, chasing and pursuing a relationship with Christ, all he has to whisper into our soul is, isn't it about time we've had lunch? And that's enough at times, just to push us just far enough away. And at that moment, he's won the day. If he can just shift and redirect our focus, just that one degree. Our enemy has won the day. And then thirdly, just like my son, so we do have cultural temptations, we have an enemy that's, has, uh, that is going to tempt us, but we also just like to do bad things sometimes. We sometimes know what our triggers are. We know we shouldn't do it. And there are times where we look at God straight in the face the same way that my son looked me straight in the face and leap off the couch anyway. Why do we do these things? Who knows? Partially because we think that it's going to make us happy. Another part to it is that we actually have a sinful nature. Adam and Eve, with their first sin, negatively rewired humanity. And J.I. Packer talked about that reality this way. He says that we are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners, born with a nature enslaved to sin. 
And so we have a problem that's bigger than just our individual sins. We've been rewired in such a way that we have a sinful disposition. So what I'm trying to say, and this is really, really critical, is that we can't save ourselves. We can't just try harder. We can't just decide one day, I'm not going to sin anymore, and then I'm going to feel better. It doesn't work that way. That's not how life comes back into our soul. We need a Savior. And praise God, that's just what he gives us. In verse 4, Paul says this, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. So how can we be made alive? How can we, if we've been carrying this weight of spiritual death over and over again, how is it that we can get freedom from that? And the answer is that it's found and rooted in God's love because of his great love for us. Now, the particular word that Paul chose to use for that love of God here in this passage is the agape love. And this is a self-sacrificial love. So what he's saying here is that God pursued us. And that the results of sin, the wages of sin is death. But that Christ took that death upon himself on our behalf. So that we didn't have to. Essentially what he's saying is that God loved us so much, just like I loved my son in that moment, that he's willing to come up, pick us off the ground after we leaped off the couch, and dust us off and say, son, I forgive you and I've made a way for you to be reunited with me because of my deep love for you. He paid our penalty. He offered his one and only son for us. Can you imagine that? That's something that broke my heart when I first became a parent. I was holding my daughter and just looking at her face deeply. And it struck me that God gave up his baby for me. Blew my mind about the love of God in that very moment. Because I was imagining I can't love something any more than I love this thing. And I can't imagine giving it up for someone else. And that's that's how deep... God's love is for us. But for us to truly understand what it means to be saved, we have to look down into verses 8 and 9, where Paul says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In verses 8 and 9, Paul has introduced to us a couple of terms that are absolutely critical for us in our understanding of how we can shift away from our spiritual bondage of death. Those are mercy and grace. Now, mercy is the withholding of rightful punishment. Now, here's how mercy works. Because of sin, we deserve not just spiritual death, but literal death. The very fact that we can hear my words this morning is an act of mercy. God had the right for us just to be evaporated on spot, first sin, right then and there. The fact that he did not is an act of mercy. I would even argue that Adam and Eve's banishment out of the Garden of Eden was an act of mercy. And the reason for that is that we have a holy, righteous, and just God whose light expels all darkness. What that means is if he were to be in the same room with them, his light would kill them. Just like that. And it was mercy 
that enabled them to be pushed away from the garden. It wasn't that God didn't want to be with them. It was the fact that we couldn't be anymore. And that the decision to sin permanently puts a wedge in place between us that God had to take out. And that's not an act of judgment, this separation. It's just a reality of sinfulness and our wretchedness can't be in the same room as an almighty and holy God. The other thing that we have to understand is something called grace. And grace is the giving of something that we don't deserve. For that, for us in this passage, that is being made alive. That's our our grace. That's our promise if we believe in Jesus. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when we look at something like a gift, grace is the giving of something that we do not deserve. In other words, grace is a gift of God. Did you know that when you're given a gift, there's actually responsibilities to it? Every gift. So let's, I'll work this out so that we can understand. Say you know that my refrigerator has broken. Okay? And then you go and buy me an expensive refrigerator and have it dropped off at my house or you can deliver it. You have an expectation on me now. You expect that I'm going to wheel this refrigerator over to the place where a refrigerator goes and plug it into the wall and use it. Right? When we give gifts, there's a little bit of an exchange that happens. It's that here's this thing My expectation is that you're going to open it and that you're going to use it. Now, what I'm saying here is that John 3.16 lets us know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for us. Now, what's going on here is that he's given everyone a gift, all of humanity, and set it in their lap. Now, unfortunately, there are many of us who never unwrapped a gift. We never kind of take the gift and say, plug it into the wall and use it for something. We just let it sit there. If I don't actually use the gift, I can't get the benefit of what the gift is. I just can't. And so that doesn't limit God's love. It doesn't limit God's mercy. It doesn't limit God's grace. It's saying that I'm not receiving the gift and I'm not taking it in on my own. And this gift of grace is actualized by our faith in Christ. Faith that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And then we have to, in order to open up the gift of grace that God has given us, we have to really absorb in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, this verse might not seem like it, but to me, it's one of the best verses in all of Scripture. The word translated in handiwork in verse 10 is actually this Greek word poema. And poema is where we get the, the English word poem. Another way that we could translate this word would be masterpiece. So what, what God's saying here, or what Paul is telling us, is that if we embrace faith in who Jesus Christ is, that we receive a new identity And that new identity is masterpiece, created work, well-beloved by our Father, Son, Daughter of the Most High King. There is no more alive than that. And on top of that, when we look, 
then when we think of what does it mean to be alive, what are the very definitions of my body being active and moving that causes me alive is movement, right? Activity. Not only does he create us anew in Christ, but he gives us a purpose to carry on his work and his mission. So he says, look, I have restored you and pulled you up just like my very own son, seated you at the right hand along with him, and I've given you a purpose. Come on, you can be excited about this. Christ has given us a new identity. He has risen us up from the dead and given us a new purpose. It's the very core of the gospel. We can't be more alive than that. Maybe you're coming in this morning and you've been feeling that spiritual death. And you feel like you've been hollow or numb inside. Maybe you've been abandoned by a father or a mother or a spouse. Maybe your story involves great loss or great pain. Maybe you've gotten everything you've ever wanted and yet you're still not satisfied. And you're coming in this morning whether you previously knew Jesus or not and you're just heavy. And the best words that could describe what's going on is death in your heart, in your soul. Christ gives us an open invitation in Ephesians 2 to come and lay down that death at the foot of the cross and to be raised back to life by him. If we'll walk into that new reality, if we'll walk into that new identity, if we'll align ourselves with his purposes. And I want to give us the opportunity to start that journey this morning. If you've either never come to know Christ Or if you know Christ and you just haven't, you know that you have just not been walking in alignment with him. I want to give us an opportunity to lay our death down at the foot of the cross this morning and walk out of here this morning alive. So I'm going to invite you at your seat here to to say a prayer with me. Um, And I'm going to ask you to say this prayer in your heart uh, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. So let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I don't want to feel dead anymore. I've been doing things my way for too long. Please forgive me. I want to open your free gift of a new identity and a new purpose. So Jesus, come into my heart and change me from the inside out. Fill me with your spirit and guide me in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've never said that prayer before, We'd love for you to text the word Jesus to the number on your screen because we'd love to partner alongside you as you're walking through this resurrected life. We'd love you to connect you with deeper community so that there can be other people to be safeguard rails to your life to go, hey, remember, we don't live like that anymore. That's dead and this is life. So text that number and we want to welcome you into a deeper community. Let's close in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we're in all of you. We don't deserve your mercy, your grace, your love, and you pour it out on us abundantly anyway. And we thank you. Lord, help us to unwrap that beautiful gift of grace that you've left in our lap. Lord, we don't have to keep jumping off our proverbial couch anymore. That you've given us a new way, a new opportunity, a new identity, and a new purpose. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to walk in that purpose. In Christ's name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, 
and Twitter. Have a blessed week. 